0: i'm mailing a bow with alex winter and he's the director of the youtube effect hey nice to see you good to
1: see you thank you i watched
0: this yesterday and i'm thinking to myself how meta could i possibly get because this is on my youtube channel <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah well we use it for everything right which is not a bad thing unto itself
0: Oh my gosh. It's crazy. So take me back to the beginning. What inspired you to do this?
1: Well, I mean, I've been around the internet for a long time. Um, I've had an interest in the rise of internet communities going back to pre-web days um, of the eighties. When I first got on to the BBS and Usenet world, where people were beginning to congregate by the thousands, Um, Napster saw a hundred million people get together online, which was a huge jump forward. And then you know you fast forward 20 years and you've got billions of views uh, on a constant basis on a platform uh, like YouTube, which is without um, any peer in terms of its scale, uh, you know, Google, I think, is the number one searched website and YouTube is the number two and they're both owned by the same company. So it felt like a very good time to look at this with more scrutiny. And uh, Galen heard the producer contacted me about working with her on on this story, uh, and it felt like the right time to examine a company that I felt um, had avoided uh, greater scrutiny um, at the expense of some of the smaller companies in terms of their reach, like Meta and Twitter.
0: Interesting. So, Alex, sort of walk me through how you found your subjects. Like, how did you... I mean, of course, Google must have been a great resource.
1: <laughs> yes, um, they are a great resource. YouTube is a great resource. Um, I've been around the space a very long time. I know a lot of people in it. Um, I knew Anthony Padilla and Ian Hecox already. I'd worked with them before, and I know a lot of a lot of influencers who came up from the very, very early days of YouTube. Um, I also know a lot of people at Google and uh, people who were even behind the financing of Google. So. Um, You know, I was using relationships that I have. And those folks know that while I'm kind of uh, try to be uh, sort of clear eyed and and looking 360 warts and all of these issues that I'm not uh, a tech hater. Um, I think my perspective on technology is that it's really just an advancement of human society. It's not something separate from human society. I don't really look at it something that could possibly be all good or all bad. It just, it just is, it's a growth of what society already is. Um, so I had a lot of access and uh, that allowed me to build an ensemble cast, uh, which is what I like to do with my documentaries to kind of tell human stories about a very small group of people and a very giant
0: issue. <laughs> so. Yes, and you definitely got a lot of really warts and all kind of responses. I mean, I was shocked at some of the things the CEO said, the former CEO of YouTube, of Google said.
1: Yeah, yeah. Susan Wojcicki is a very smart person. She's been around um, this stuff her whole life, and she was one of the people who helped put Google together, but she also made the sale, the initial Google sale of YouTube back in 2006. So I knew she'd have great things to say. Um, And, you know, these are people who have been, who have come up with the rise of of the internet, much less the rise of of the web. So uh, they've seen it all. And they're also in the predicament that we're in um, the same predicament that the rest of us are in. I think also trying to to figure out a way forward that works. So you don't throw out the baby with the bathwater, So you keep all the good things that Google and YouTube are doing um, while addressing the things that are causing harms.
0: Yeah, and, and let's talk about some of those things that you discovered, some of the more harmful side of YouTube.
1: Well, I mean, there, there was, I was a very aware that it had um, a, a lot to do with uh, uh, the rise of, of the alt-right and, um, and white supremacist terrorism, which is probably the biggest threat we face in the world right now. Um, it is so scary. Yeah, and it's going to get it's going to get worse, I fear, um, over the next couple of years. And I think technology is going to play a role in, in it getting worse, sadly. So uh, so I wanted to dig into that as well as obviously the positive. It's it's kind of ironic that YouTube is at once, I would say, largely responsible for the diversity drives that we saw in media that then got picked up on by Hollywood. A lot of that really began with YouTube, who, who was openly courting and promoting um, people of all ethnicities, people of all genders and sexualities, people all over the world, people without voices in countries all over the world, um, and began to democratize uh, culture in that way. A lot of that started with YouTube. At the same time, it, the company is also monetizing the rise of hate speech and very uh, radical and bigoted uh, and, and inciting um, content. So. Uh, that was something I wanted to look into. I wasn't aware of, of the stats because I'm not, you know, those are not things I spend time looking at unless I'm making a film about them. Um, but the more research I did into the, the actual statistics, the you know, the positive stuff was there. It was a much bigger platform than I realized. It was much more run by Google than I realized. Uh, there's a lot of, There was a lot of work, a lot of really good work that had gone into, into content moderation. Um, and fixing the algorithm, especially the recommender algorithm issues, which I don't think are even that big a problem anymore. Um, but at the same time, the paraso- the negatives around the parasocial aspects and the monetization of hate speech was far worse <laughs> than, I, than I understood. Um, and the, I knew that YouTube played a part in the January 6th insurrection. I was very aware that it was really responsible for the Christchurch shooting. But I did not realize that YouTube was the number one driver of uh, of the January sixth insurrection in terms of, of dis- uh, disseminating information and uh, motivating and coordinating uh, that attack. So that's you know that's a pretty important statistic. And yeah. um, <laughs> once I discovered that, it kind of forced me to pull on that the thread of that sweater a little harder than I might have otherwise
0: yeah i was going to ask you um what other surprises sort of led you down that rabbit hole because you know when you do a documentary things tend to change right
1: yes completely yeah yeah,
0: yeah. i mean you go into
1: a you, you know i do a lot of writing on these docs and i have kind of a, stri- a script or structure going in knowing that that's going to get thrown out and rewritten constantly and that's kind of the point is you know your editor is really your co-author on a documentary and west cadwell and i my editor we were constantly reorienting and looking at things and seeing where they were going and how they needed to be revised. Um, so the story took a lot of turns and, um, you know, but I'm very transparent with my subjects, including uh, with Google and, and the YouTube folks. And I sort of let people know that like, look, I'm, I don't have an agenda against this company. Um, it's done a lot of good, but I certainly intend to travel down any road that it takes me.
0: So what was the big turn that that happened while you were filming?
1: I think that the rise, of, while we were filming, um, you know, going into the 2020 election, uh, the rise of COVID misinformation, the rise of hate speech, the rise of QAnon, uh, the rise of violence that was being incited by, by far-right and white supremacist terrorists, um, and the amount to which that was being monetized, uh, that was uh, took me down a direction. I had always been suspicious of this idea and culture that the algorithm is responsible for everything. It seems to me like kind of a cop out. Um, if you have this kind of unknowable thing that's that's evil, then you don't really have to do anything. You just say, oh, the algorithm, the algorithm and doesn't require any action. And I'm, I'm not always I'm always resistant to any language that removes you know, the ability for humans to just take basic action against something that's going on with AI right now, people like AI, this AI, that AI is going to end the world. And, and then you just want to pull a blanket over your head and not do anything. And AI AI doesn't even mean anything anymore. It's not even used accurately for the most part. And the algorithm, I would say the same, has become a fairly meaningless buzzword. So uh, I really wanted to dig into what was actually driving this this kind of harm um, because I didn't believe it was algorithmic. And I don't believe that it's largely a technology issue. Uh, but I learned a lot about parasocial, um, the power of parasocial uh interaction kind of like you and I are having right now right I'm looking into a webcam you're looking back at me in your webcam webcam it's like my. And well it's be like we're up, looking
0: like... at each other and we're in yeah. the <laughs>
1: exactly like you're in my kitchen and you know uh and that's obviously uh an extremely powerful uh tool and um and I don't think people quite understand the, the power of that uh, both for good in terms of connecting with your fellow human um, and so that's what happened to me in 2019. As you moved into into 2020, we're in the middle of COVID. Everybody was online all the time. Everybody's relationships were parasocial. Whether it was my 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 child and his school teacher, everything was just black box webcam, right? Um, and then it really began to dawn on me how much power YouTube had and why. And that's when it really hit me that this wasn't an algorithmic issue at all. This is this was almost entirely a parasocial issue, and then a business issue in terms of monetizing that power.
0: Yeah, and, and the person that was really super interesting to me was the online abuse attorney uh, who must be inundated with cases.
1: <laughs> Carrie Goldberg. Yeah, she's a hero. We love Carrie.
0: Yeah, what, uh, what prompted you to go after her interview, and, and what did you discover?
1: Well, I've known Carrie for years, actually. Um, So it was an easy ask, and uh, I've been a big fan of hers for a very long time. Um, I knew that I wanted to create a a small ensemble cast of people that could interface with each other, meaning whether they knew it or not, they had connection. Uh, So whether that was Caleb and Natalie, meaning Natalie basically pulled Caleb out of his rabbit hole, but she doesn't even know him. Like, that's really interesting to me. That's a parasocial issue again. Right um, the power someone has over someone else that they don't even know. Uh, so that's kind of what I wanted to convey with the cast, with the ensemble. And, uh, so that's why I went after Carrie and then that led me to Andy Parker and then led me to, to other folks that, that built it out. And at the same time, I knew a lot of what I thought were the best experts in this area, the people who I had the most respect for people like Becca Lewis, uh, Tal Lavin. Um, you know, Natasha Tichio at, at, um, Washington Post, uh, Honey Fareed at Berkeley. So I knew that there were people whose voices were very reasoned, um, and had good things to say. And that was why I kind of built that end of, of the film.
0: So when you first reached out to, uh, Steve Chen, who was one of the founders, what happened to the other two guys? Who's um, you two? I mean, you, yeah, I mean, we, we, uh, A, you don't
1: want a cluttered playing field. So it's why I didn't go after I think I didn't go after more founders. I didn't go after I think the only people I went after that I didn't get were a couple more engineers from Google and YouTube, who just didn't want to go on record, Uh, I think, for fear of retribution, probably. Um, But having Susan was a goldmine and having Steve was a goldmine. So I didn't really feel a huge urge to go further than that.
0: Yeah. So what are your YouTube habits, so to speak? Like, what do you get from the channel?
1: Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's vast. Uh, you know, YouTube is all of our media, all of our news, all of sort of the human collection of any form of, of historical information. It's DIY, it's movies and entertainment and music, and it's social media and it's search, right? So it's, it's almost undefinably giant. Uh, so I'm not even sure I have like a. I mean, I use it for all of the things I just described, which is a lot of stuff. I mean, we're on it all day long to some degree or another. I use it to keep my dogs relaxed when I leave the house. Right. Uh, I go right to YouTube for the Relax My Dog videos and like that keeps my dogs. OK, um, I've got three boys, like two of whom are grown and out of the house. They're all on it for everything, all their music, all their media. Um, so I just think it's it's a it's really the largest community that we have online at the moment um and it's connecting billions of people together uh and so that is is i'm using it the same way that everybody else is in that way it is it is kind of an unavoidable um and indispensable tool
0: the other thing in the documentary alex that i found super disturbing was when you were talking about this adorable child and his parents and then you get the algorithms of all these nasty videos about kids oh
1: yeah yeah i mean thankfully yeah that was terrible i mean i'd say that the the uh to credit youtube and google they did a lot of really good work where there were algorithmic issues uh the recommender algorithm was a bit of a train wreck when it got introduced Um, I think they've done an enormous amount of good there. Uh, I don't think you're that you're likely in this day and age the way you were several years ago to, like, you know, search for, you know, how to put AAA batteries into your radio and then immediately get rabbit holed into like down, you know, these dark pathways of garbage. Uh, It's very unlikely. It's very actually hard to drive to make YouTube do that to you anymore. Uh, Same with the kids space. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, same with the kids space for the most part, they've done a lot of good. So that's why I really focus on the parasocial aspects, which I think are, sig- are very significant and the content moderation issues, which I think could be far better than what they're doing. I don't believe they're easy. I think Susan would just he's 100% right when she says that you can't just abolish section 230. She's not wrong. She's not being disingenuous. It would be a disaster really for companies much smaller than Google who, a, who would have a less hard time course correcting than sort of your average mom and pop website. Uh, So it's not easy. I don't, I'm not flippant about it, but I think they could be doing more than they're doing.
0: So in light of that, what were your takeaways? And what do you hope people will sort of take away from watching the YouTube effect?
1: Uh, I mean, my takeaways are are immeasurable because I was on this film for years. And so every day I was having my mind blown to one degree or another. I think that, I mean, my takeaway is that I think things are going to get worse before they get better my long-term takeaway is optimistic because I think that people at Google are actually good people and I think that the government is beginning to wake up to how these technologies work but I think that Google won't police itself so however good they are they're not going to buy because of just you know their shareholders really run the company and if they go to their shareholders and say we're about to make way less profit because we're going to turn off all of these hate-filled channels they would be frog marched out of their building by their board so that's not going to happen. And I think the government, while it's waking up to regulation and antitrust uh, law, um, it's still very behind and still very ignorant of how these technologies work. Um, Sometimes you talk to people in Congress and they get it. And a lot of the time you talk to people in Congress and it's kind of terrifying how much they don't get it. Uh, So I think that kind of younger people coming up in Congress will help. I think the long term play is really good. Short term play going into 2024 election is scary and I think is going to be very bumpy indeed. Um, So I think maybe the takeaway for other people for me is to just understand that technology is not something that's run by an algorithm that's that's separate from humanity, separate from society that you can just turn off or like put down. It is a reflection of where society is right now. So you really don't have a choice but to get involved.
0: Absolutely. And also the fear is like this loss of humanity with, as you mentioned earlier, the chat bot, uh, which I still haven't gotten to look into because it's so scary. So talk about that.
1: Well, I think that um, I think that AI is causing harms, I think, in different ways than it's generally being talked about. I don't think it's Skynet. I don't think it's going to end civilization as we know it. I think actually a lot of the rhetoric around that is is agenda-based and harmful. Um, and I think that uh, AI will will take jobs away in, in seemingly mundane, but very destructive ways. Uh, it's very good at organizing. Uh, it'll probably replace a lot of lawyers. It'll replace a lot of kind of rank-and-file Actors. work. <laughs> Actors, <laughs> directors, writers, uh, rank-and-file workers, uh, you know, assistant directors, people who uh, whose job is scheduling, and a lot of the people that you talk to in customer service are going to be gone. They're replaced with AI. So I think there is going to be a broad-based kind of level of destruction that comes from it. That is that is serious and not to be uh, minimized. I just don't think that AI is going to suddenly sprout a brain and and turn off the human race. I think that's kind of ludicrous.
0: All right. You said it here. Thank you so much.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Much appreciated. If we don't figure out this problem, we're going to lose what it means to be human. Always new. Always refreshing. Always candid. Always billing about. Robin Milling delivers what celebrities are saying to (laughs) To to you.